It's me. Hi. I'm the problem. It's me. I taped this episode about Taylor Swift in early November, and for various reasons, some of them related to tech problems, others, you know, related to me. I'm only putting it out now, so some of the references are a little dated. Um, so I hope you enjoy my conversation with the critic B.D. McClay. Hi, welcome to Culturally Determined. I'm your host, R.A. Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is B.D. McClay. Uh, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm B.D. McClay. I'm a freelance essayist and critic, and uh, more, more relevant to this podcast episode is that I have a little substack called Notebook. Um, I really got in on the ground floor with that subtag title. Substack. Yeah, I noticed that too. You have a, you got a great. So it's notebook.substack.com is your yeah. Substack, and uh, it has a lot of posts on it about Taylor Swift because I got very sick and have been living in my parents' basement, and I don't really have anything to think about except Taylor Swift. And so, uh, so that that is the the reason I'm on here today. Okay, well, thank you for coming back on. It's been a while. So you were I checked your last time about four years ago. And yeah. And we talked about your essay on um, Gnosticism and mononucleosis. Yes. Uh, at that point. And then, yes, so it's been a while. And you've written about your illness. You had a really good essay about your illness that uh, we'll link to. What Was it in the, um, the it's drift? In the drift. Yeah. yeah. About being like a bad patient or a bad sick person. Um, yeah. But yeah, so the, so the topic today is is Taylor Swift, and as far as I can remember, I've never actually talked about pop music or any other kind of music on the show because I consider myself to have extremely like lame and basic musical tastes and never have any real deep thoughts about music aside from thinking, oh, I like that or um, I don't like that, and I also am totally disconnected from like any pop music of the past twenty plus years unless. It's like so culturally ubiquitous that it's like everyone's talking about it or you would hear it on the street or something. Or so if, if I've heard like a new pop song, like it is, you know, it's like conquered American culture already. So, you know, we're going to be talking about Taylor Swift. I know not much about her, but I've been <laughs> reading your analysis of her recently. And I, I was thinking last night, like it's possible she could be like Time Magazine's person of the year. Yeah. Uh, this year like she has conquered the culture in 2023 in a way that like a single uh entertainer or cultural figure hasn't in a long time uh so that's another reason so we're you know gonna be talking about maybe just her as a figure um as well and and i guess the, the news hook is that she just a week ago released uh 1989 taylor's version and correct me if i'm wrong on any of this but she's been re-releasing a lot of her albums because of a rights issue or it's not really a re-release, yeah. it's a total re-recording so that right. she can have control, like she doesn't have the masters or something because of maybe a situation that you could explain. But so she's been releasing new versions, her own versions of a lot of her early work. And then 1989 actually is the only one of her albums that I ever like have listened to straight through. And you wrote a piece about that in particular. So we could go anywhere here, but could you actually ex maybe explain the Taylor's version um, yeah. stuff and like why albums that she first put out like eight years ago are popping back up now? 
Yeah, so basically um, her first six albums were done with this record label called Big Machine. Basically, um, she signed her first deal with RCA when she was 14 as a songwriter, um, but then she got out of that contract and her dad, who is some kind of finance, he's like a mid-tier finance guy, uh, her dad bought like a like 3% or something as a founding stake. It's more than 3%, but I can't remember, uh, in this new label, which was Big Machine. And uh, this is sort of relevant, which is why I'm going into it. Uh, and And what that meant was that he was... It meant two things. One was that she was kind of like this labeled big bet for like getting big. And the other is that uh, he was like in all of her meetings and had a lot more control over her contracts. So because she wrote all the songs herself, among other reasons, she retained publishing rights to her songs. Um, And my impression is that publishing rights and music are complicated and like everybody who's involved with writing a song um, and then the actual publisher, which is separate from the record label, they all have publishing rights. But anyway, that part's important. So after six albums, Taylor knew that the guy who ran Big Machine, um, Scott Borchetta, was looking to sell. So she got out of her contract, or she, instead of re-signing with them, she signed a distribution deal with... Um, republic records and she tried to buy back the masters of her first six albums but she couldn't why she couldn't is kind of disputed like there are different versions of the story but like basically she she couldn't buy it and she was like well this is sad but how it goes but then it got sold to scooter braun uh who for reasons i don't quite understand is like one of those people that she just really hates um i think he was involved he was kanye's manager for a bit and it could be that he was involved with the sort of edited tape leak that you know kind of wrecked her reputation for a bit i i don't i don't like she just says in her statement about this scott borchetta knew every time i was crying it was about scooter braun or something like that Okay. Um, yes, and the, we, I don't know if we should like dive into the leaked <laughs> tape thing, or which I'm vaguely aware of. Okay, so how uh, how like uh, well, yeah. I am from this is I thought I guess in my mind Scooter Braun and Scott Borchetta were the same person, maybe yeah. because the same initials, and so I didn't realize these were two different. Two no, different they're figures. two different people, and so then um, it does seem like there was a little bit where she tried to buy the masters back from Scooter, but she backed out of that because of an NDA that she would have to sign um right and braun is so braun is like a you know producer impresario who had a lot of yeah like he had bieber or something yeah he discovered justin bieber and like have left braun over the past like couple months seeming yeah making it seem like some big thing was going to drop but then maybe it hasn't actually dropped but i think he may just not be a very good manager anymore like i think that's quite possible and that like I think one of the more important things about Taylor Swift, like as a as a person, is that um, I think her her whole reputation for being vindictive and beauty and stuff is a bit overblown. But I think if she really hates you, she will basically stop at nothing to like 
make a point. Um, and so she announced she was going to re-record all six of her original albums. And I think the the big thing is um, licensing. Um, oh, also, Scooter Braun has since sold the masters to an investment group. Apparently, he told the investment group that there was no way. Supposedly, he told them there was no way Taylor was going to do this re-recording project. Like hmm. he was like, she's just mad. She's not actually like. What kind of crazy person would actually re-record six <laughs> albums of material? Right. Um, no, so um, I think initially what she really wanted to do was have a version that she owned that could be done for like licensing, but then like these turned out to be kind of big commercial successes i think especially because the first couple ones came out in 2021 so um you know we're all still pretty locked down and uh so then like yeah people were excited to hear fearless again her vocal technique had really improved since she did that the first time then she did red and like that was a big deal um and i believe she had like one of the the 10 minute version of all too well charted, but I can't remember at what, mm. what position, but it, it was like, um, a, that was a big deal. Um, so, so a lot, so, yeah. So she's yeah. releasing, like, there were some things where a track that wasn't included originally would be included. Yeah. If you bought like some version of it, but it's just like, from a business perspective, it's, it's brilliant. Like I assume, you know, the, the original, she, like, she made some amount of money selling. Yeah when those originals sold and because of the the music industry is so corrupt maybe she made like two percent of like the total um for each one but she got something for those and now she's redoing everything and all of her super fans who bought the original one are buying it again and i assume she gets a hundred percent or at least something close to that of the new version yeah she gets a lot and, uh, and people because, are just like talking yeah. about her old albums again which doesn't usually happen unless it's like the 20th anniversary of a, you know a seminal album or something like no one no one talks about an album that came out nine years ago usually so that's smart and yeah and and so and then she also released like different versions like a, like acoustic versions or versions in different like a song that might be might have been more upbeat was now released in a stripped down like sadder version and so she hasn't made that many changes like that. Okay. Um, when it comes to the, she's made one change that's like that. But when it comes to the, um, when it comes to the original albums, uh, the original track list, um, they're designed to sound as much like the originals as possible, mm -hmm. um, with some some changes. Uh, and then you have what she calls the vault tracks, which are tracks that didn't make the album the first time so um one one track that was a bonus track on red got this weird kind of like danceified version on the taylor's version of red it's a song called girl at home that nobody really likes so i guess that's maybe why she she screwed around with it but um but other than that she stayed pretty uh she hasn't really messed around with okay. the tone of the songs uh but yeah, I think um, it's an interesting thing because of the re-records and because of the Eras tour, which I think is, you know, sort of tied up with the re-record project. Like, uh, if you if you go to the Eras tour, 
which which you uh, did right i did yeah uh it was a it was a present um it was a birthday present uh I think, I, 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 you know, however anyone can get to the era store, I think, you know, <laughs> is legitimate. And, you know, we acknowledge uh, <laughs> the validity of whatever uh, you had to do to get to the uh, the era store. Uh, but what I was going to say is um, there's like, a you know, there's the pre-show playlist and the pre-show act. But before the concert actually starts, a clock starts counting down and the song You Don't Own Me starts to play. Oh, okay. Um, not I think it's the Dusty Springsfield cover of "You Don't Own Me." Uh-huh. So, like that—that's very pointed. That, that you know. So, um, but between the Eras tour and that the Eras tour, this might have been what you were thinking of. She plays two surprise songs every night that are just her on a guitar or her on a piano, and those are all songs that aren't on the set list. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that she's not repeating herself. Though she has a few times, um, but mostly, mostly she stuck to that. Uh, and so the sort of like um, the upshot of this is that there isn't really such a thing as like a tailored deep cut right now. <laughs> um, like Cruel Summer, which just went number one, I think is about to get dethroned by uh, 1989, the track off of 1999 Taylor's version. Um, you know, that was a song that was never a single. It was just a fan favorite off of Lover. Uh, and then it's the second song she sings in the concert. And it just started like sort of it got back on the Billboard Hot 100 and started climbing up. And then she released it as an official single, which just meant it got pushed to radio. And then it just kind of kept on. So it's like that. That was a fan favorite deep cut. All Too Well was a fan favorite deep cut. Um now they are, you know, hit singles. Uh, I think in many ways, the most interesting Taylor's version is the one that I'm guessing is going to be the last one, which is her debut album, because uh, that is probably the album people are like least attached to. Uh, okay, so, like so she, she has not gone in chronological order in terms of these versions, no. and so she hasn't done her first one. And she was more like country. And- yeah country crossover sort of originally so yeah and like uh you know if you if you go and listen to debut there are some great songs on it but it's also all really clearly sung by like a 16 year old girl um and taylor's vocal technique was not very good until i'm not sure exactly when um i think even during when lover came out and that was 2019 she was still giving some pretty weak life performances Hmm. she's gotten a lot better uh yeah so i think um my my prediction for a long time and it looks like this is going to be true is that the next one's going to be reputation uh which is the last one chronologically and then she's going to follow that up with debut as a kind of full circle moment that's the sort of sentimental gesture that i think she really loves um uh anyway my only point is like debut has good songs on it but it is her least streamed album it is you know so uh, her debut album is literally called debut no it's called taylor swift oh okay but the fans is like <laughs> the fans call it debut thing. because if you say i don't like debut like that sounds you know if you say i don't like taylor swift and um got it and taylor swift fan is based you will die quickly <laughs> uh, cause, okay because <laughs> what what really does have to be said is i think that the taylor's versions have brought in people who are normal um <laughs> 
like people who were you know not into fearless the first time but now it comes out again and they give it a shot and they're like oh like this was this has some bops on it or whatever mm-hmm. but uh the 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 people who are really in lockstep behind her on this are her fans who are insane um <laughs> and maybe they have maybe you know it used to be that like the the Beyonce fandom was the the insane fandom, mm-hmm. right? Like there was an SNL skit, there was a TV show that I didn't watch. That's right. like all about how insane Beyonce fans are. Right. Um, Hive. I think it was called Hive or something like that. It was called yeah. Swarm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the fandom was called Bayhive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's still called the Bayhive. Uh, I like. Um, Obviously, Beyonce's still huge, but she has a very different relationship with her fans than Taylor does, because Beyonce's whole thing is kind of like, I'm perfect. I like basically like live in a castle on a hill. You aren't invited. You will never be invited <laughs> to my castle. Uh-huh. Whereas Ta- uh, but every once in a while, I will come out and you can see how perfect I am. Uh-huh. Um, whereas Taylor literally invites fans to her house. Uh, she may not do that anymore, but she used to do it. Uh, for like listening parties uh, and stuff like that yeah um she'll get in touch with random fans like this is something i saw on twitter but like uh somebody a fan from i think mexico posted a dm they got from taylor during covid that was just Hmm. like hey uh, it looks like you were like kind of struggling i'd like to like paypal you something whoa so like um random acts of charity <laughs> random uh you know there's this kind of it's it's like the whole thing with the rats you know the intermittent rewards like mm-hmm. um i'm not i'm not saying she's doing that on purpose but i think for like a certain kind of fan the chance that taylor swift will notice you is never zero uh and so like these kinds of professions of affection and actions of loyalty and stuff are like uh what what they do because they think maybe she'll notice them right um, okay one thing i did want to talk about this maybe leads into it naturally is sort of the yeah the culture of the super fans and how swift herself you know has created this sort of like what what's the term it's like a reality video game or something what am i thinking of it's like those things where like a movie would for as part of its promotion would like put little clues like on street signs Easter or something eggs. Yeah, or like, you know, there's this whole like numerology aspect to being a Taylor Swift super fan where there's certain numbers that have meaning and maybe mm-hmm. numbers will be in the back of like uh, an image she releases or something. And then that indicates that something is going to happen or yeah, there are you, I think in one of your recent pieces noted that a certain track on every album like is the most personal or something yeah. like that. So, and and. Did you um did you read uh, Caitlin Tiffany's book that came out the past year or so? Uh, I did not. I've got like a little stack of books about fans that I want to read, and that's on there. There's also a book about being obsessed with Benedict Cumberbatch, which is called <laughs> "This Is Not a Book About Benedict Cumberbatch." Uh, that's on there, and also right. that um that so novel I think it's that. Not- yeah. Every everything I need I get from you as I think the title and I had her on yeah. my show and I like that book a lot and I mean she it's mainly about um One Direction fans but she definitely mentions Taylor and Beyonce in yeah. there 
as like you know primarily female young female fan communities that took on a life of their own very you know anyone who's interested in the internet i would say check, check out this book but yeah, yeah. you talk more about that symbiotic relationship or sort of that yeah. like, there's like a secret there's a game like we're unlocking puzzles aspect i mean one thing i want to say and I, I wish i had read the book but i haven't um one thing that is interesting about taylor vis-a-vis -vis, like her audience versus something like one direction or whatever and i'm talking a little out of my depth here because i know like two one direction songs um and but i think like the purpose of a boy band right uh is like you have a set number of boys that each have like their personality mm -hmm. and like they're they're all fantasy objects that's like what they exist to do like you project like like one of them sweet and nice and one of them's kind of moody and i don't know like i yeah, the uh, bad boy yeah yeah and so like um they they need to have almost like no real personality of their own but like in a very particular way because you can't just like there is something that matters about the actual boys that go into a boy band um you can't just like sweep up any five boys and it will work you know uh <laughs> like uh and um one of the things that I think is kind of interesting about Taylor is that she has figured out a way of getting that same kind of dedication from people, but in a way that isn't about benefiting from, like, subliminated sexual tension, mm -hmm. um, which I think is actually pretty unusual. Like, they're, like, um, I mean, most, like, big pop divas, their fandoms are probably mostly gay men and straight women. And mm -hmm. so, like, in that sense, um, it's not unusual. But I think Taylor has always marketed to whatever the peer group she is in right then. So, like, okay. when she's 16 or whatever um, and putting together her debut album, one of the songs she really insists has to be on the album is the song Our Song because it's the song that the girls at her school like the most um and you know she goes on to myspace and like really aggressively just kind of is like i'm just like you except i'm making these songs you know do you like them and so like uh she's always focused on you know initially obviously teen girls but not teen girls anymore you know it's like people i'm you know i'm taylor's age so women in their early 30s uh she's always kind of marketed to them in this uh very kind of direct way where it's like i'm like you i'm giving voice to our mutual feelings mm -hmm. um she i think was not intending to be sort of an object under which people project things though she is now unavoidably that's just what a famous person is mm -hmm. uh but um but her songs have a kind of uh, like uh, what I think of as a you guysness, you know, like okay. like the there's just a sort of shared common ground. Like even though she is supposedly singing about things that happened to her, uh, and there are these little very carefully chosen details that kind of anchor whatever she's singing about. The idea is that you know you hear it and. You know, maybe your ex-boyfriend doesn't have a scarf that you left at his house, but there's something kind of similar that, like, 
that awakens in you. I think that's, that, that to me is like her big inheritance from country music. And she's carried it with her through the pop transition mm-hmm. is this gift for storytelling and detail that makes it feel specific, but makes it hit universally. Um, anyway, so there's sort of an interesting difference between what she's doing with her stuff and what like a, a boy band like One Direction is doing with a song like um, What Makes You Beautiful or whatever, you know, you're beautiful because you don't know you're beautiful. Right. And I should say, um, um, people can go back, I'll include the link to the interview I did with Kayla and Tiffany, but um, yeah, they, One Direction was only an actual like going concern for like four or five years. Mm-hmm. And I, when I got the book, um, I was like, I can't think of a One Direction song. And then, yeah, that song, that's the music video is them on the beach. I listened to it. I could swear I'd never heard this song before. Um, so, I, you know, they were, it wasn't, seemed like, yeah, it wasn't, as much about the music for them whereas with swift it definitely is much more about the music in addition to all the lore and mythology and yeah. relationship with uh with the audience yeah um, you know and one other thing but I, I was thinking about this recently um because of 1989 coming out and like if you're the kind of swift fan who tries to um pen every song on a boyfriend 1989 is the Harry Styles mm-hmm. album. Um, some of us don't think she ever dated Harry Styles. It was just kind of like a PR thing. Mm. Uh, but, uh, and frankly, if she did date Harry Styles, the album is insane because he was 18 when they dated. And so, so these vault tracks that are like, you're so immature. It's like, yeah, Taylor, he was 18. <laughs> <laughs> uh but that aside um oh harry styles is the subject of the two to me most genuinely deranged um group of people who are like diehards about a particular relationship and one is the people who like think he and taylor are made for each other and they will they will literally make ai portraits of them and their children okay uh-huh. and like so the, the, you're, through... these are like the, the shippers people who yeah yeah the think shippers. about they're or called... imagine yeah a, and they're a, called a, hailers um a relationship between two figures yeah. and so yeah and, and so, so larry is the other yeah larry is the other one and like larry's a lot worse i think because, oh for sure like yeah. At least Taylor and Harry Styles pretended to date. <laughs> um, you know, at this point, Larry is just like a weird way people harass Louis Tomlinson. Yeah. By, like, okay. If you want to, whatever. If, if you want to learn about Larry, you can listen. To, you can read Caitlin <laughs> Tiffany's book, or I guess you can just Google, you know, One Direction Larry, or you can listen yeah. to the conversation I had uh, with her about it. But yeah, but. It's, it's in short a theory that two of the you know members of of one direction have a are secretly you know in a romantic relationship with each other and have gone to such lengths as like faking pregnancies and stuff to you know lead the media off of the truth and crisis actor babies right and and there's a parallel um theory about taylor swift uh, called is it just called gaylor gaylor so i'm not (laughs) you're gonna say gaylor is not gaylors are not like larry's except a subset of Gaylers who are called late stage Kalers. 
who are people who think that not only is Taylor Swift gay, and not only is Taylor Swift, not only has she been linked romantically with um, Victoria's Secret supermodel, Carly Kloss, but that they are literally secretly married. And Carly's quote unquote marriage to Josh Kushner is a front and their baby. This is what really interests me. Their baby is also a front, but Carly has a real baby with Taylor. <laughs> so she's good. Okay. She said that there's a fake baby and a real baby and like. Um, and, and so and that Kushner is either the brother or the cousin of Jared Kushner. Brother. Okay. So, uh, so we, yeah, you move very close and suddenly, you know, Trump is involved and this whole world of online getting obsessed with something and trying to find the clues and stuff like yeah. is like essentially is like QAnon in a, you know, less insane, like largely non-dangerous way of like there are secret signals there's a reality that we don't understand but people are people who know the truth are trying to like get the truth out through these coded messages and yeah people work together online to like quote unquote decode them and it seems like it's mostly actually, total nonsense oh, sorry. there there is actually a cue of late stage scalarism because there's this specific woman who is straight by the way I mentioned this because I think the degree to which somebody is like a sane person who happens to think Taylor Swift is gay has a strong correlation to whether or not they themselves are actually gay. Uh -huh. And if so, this woman is straight um, and she had a secret source that would de send her riddles on Tumblr and she would post the riddles. And one was like, I was reading about this last night. I'll, I'll send you the link so you can put it <laughs> uh -huh. the write up of this. But one from the write-up I was reading was like, riddle's just like, take a sip, look at the sky. And she was like, this riddle means that, the take a sip means that there is tea that you are tasting. Uh -huh. And look at the sky is about clouds because she's saying that Lover, which is the album that is coming out, uh, she was telling us that there was going to be a cloud aesthetic in Lover. Um, and basically... It was eventually proven that this person sending these riddles was, of course, this woman sending these riddles to herself. Okay. Um, <laughs> and I, it's like a whole, yeah, it's a genuinely quite crazy uh, thing there. But and and this woman is like, yeah, she thinks Taylor and Carly are married, and you can't prove they're not married because because weddings in New York are not public information. So, you know, uh, the, the lack of a marriage certificate means nothing, mm -hmm. um, blah, 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 you know. And uh, there are there are quite sane people who think that Taylor is maybe bi. Uh, but um, so the, the people who are obsessed with Carly Kloss, I would say, are the, the Larrys of Gaylorism. Uh, the more you get obsessed with a real person having a romantic relationship with another real person, I think the the more likely it is that you are about to, you know, throw yourself off the deep end of your mind. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and it gets, yeah. I mean, certainly this has been my reaction to like the weird, the natural, the national frenzy over Taylor seeing Travis Kelsey. Oh yes. Let's, like, let's talk about that for sure. It's, it's like, it's very creepy to me. Uh, and I'll admit like, you know, I, um, I'm like aware of all the relationship stuff around Taylor because a it's like almost impossible not to be, not impossible but but pretty tricky. 
Um, but B, like I, you know, I'm always kind of interested in like the general story of like how people respond to Taylor or how she fosters these attachments. Because, you know, I think you and I both know it is not enough for your music to be good, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I do think Taylor's music is good. Um, the music is what I care about, but that is not why she's like the biggest star on earth. Um, right. And, and so like I, when people sort of start melting down about this relationship um, positively, but it's still creepy. Like you still, you have people being like making these like almost pornographic TikToks where they're like, oh, I bet like Travis Kelsey is bleep, 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 bleep. <laughs> like about like the kind of sex they think they're having and like how this is probably better sex because like he's not English. I don't know. Um... Well, it is as, as someone who is far outside this world, it is interesting that she has seemingly always been dating artsy boys and yeah. now she's dating a jock well, at least the, that would be like the symbolic meaning and she was sort of like semi-dating or something like maybe the ultimate artsy boy right before this maddie healy yeah who again i had never heard of i never heard his band um the funniest thing to me about the maddie healy stuff is that like it's like oh she's dating maddie healy you know and like everyone is again melting down this time negatively um, I remember the tweet that was like, he's going to get Taylor addicted to heroin. Because um, <laughs> he has songs about, about being addicted to heroin and, and uh -huh. stuff. And so it's like all this, all this. Okay, so, so like, yeah, okay, so he's, he seemed like this. Song. He seemed like this semi, like, douchebaggy type. And then they had a brief relationship. People were mad about it online because he said something racist on a podcast or something like that. Yeah. And, and then that ended. And then she pivoted to, like, this guy who's a football player for the Kansas City Chiefs. Is that right? Yes. And, you know, he looks like a big strapping all-American lad <laughs> and very physically different than some of the other artsy emotional actor types who she dated in the past. And yeah, and she she's okay, so what 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 have you thought about this? And is he going to get on one knee at the 50-yard line at the Super Bowl after catching the winning? touchdown or and then america will have like a royal couple what what are, what are you thinking oh guy i hope not um i do think if if well if something like that happened it would be horrible but it wouldn't be when he actually proposed um like this is this is gossip this is un unverified gossip that i have read but um I think probably like he and Taylor had met before the whole thing about him trying to give her the friendship bracelet. Like, I think they were seeing each other and then they kind of debuted the relationship mm -hmm. and now they're taking the relationship private again. Oh, um, interesting. Is she no longer uh, showing up at his games or? I don't know if she, I, she wasn't at the last one, I think, but they also like, uh, everyone was kind of like, Oh, they're going to post their couples costume. And, and there was nothing. Um, <laughs> And like, and Taylor usually posts her Halloween costume. Oh, okay. But yeah, you know, there wasn't, there was nothing. Um, so like, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't have proof that, but I think, I think if Travis Kelsey did something insane like that, it would, it would have been a, it would be planned. That would be for, that would be for us. Uh huh. Have they announced? Be... Have they announced who's going to do the halftime show at the Super Bowl? Usher. Uh, sure. Oh, okay. I mean, Taylor I mean, the, can't do the it. The synergy option. 
there is irresistible, but maybe next year. Supposedly, Taylor has been asked to do the Super Bowl several times and has always said no. Interesting. Um, but she literally couldn't do the Super Bowl in 2024 because the night after she is doing a show in Tokyo. Okay. So, well, if anyone, <laughs> or the night pull, before, if anyone could so pull anyway. that off, you know, get like at the supersonic jet or something. Yeah. Um, but, um, okay. But yeah, I mean, the Travis Kelsey thing, like, to me, it's a very, um, you know, one of the non creepy, like in the sex sense, but like still creepy to me. TikToks that I saw was this woman being like, my theory is that this is about the dusty boyfriend. And she was like, you've got a pattern in all relationships. And it goes like this. You've got the long-term boyfriend who doesn't work out. Then you have the dusty boyfriend who is just for sex. And then you like meet the like nice, strong guy who's like going to be your forever guy. And it's just like, you just like this. You literally just like have three men and you're like, well, what does dusty mean in this? Dusty. Thing? So I think, I don't really know why dusty, like she was doing this with, um, Blake Lively was like her example in the TikTok. So it was like Blake Lively dated somebody else in gossip girl. Then she dated Leonardo DiCaprio, who is the dusty boyfriend in huh. this example okay. maybe this and, is like you know and then she met brian uh, yeah maybe this Gen is like, slang that isn't better for yeah <laughs> but i think i think it just means you know something for a good time not for a long time yeah and, wait, and is, like, is kelsey the dusty one or the no no Maddie healy one? is the dusty one okay uh and kelsey is the um he's like the good the he's like the good the good very masculine guy who saves you from art art boy hell right she's sort of famous or at least her um like this stereotypical understanding of her is that she dates these guys they break up and she writes songs about them and then mm -hmm. the song and then the fans are like oh this song is about jake gyllenhaal this song is about whoever right. um and all these guys have been like actors or musicians more or less and now it's like a different kind of guy <laughs> it's yeah. a guy who's famous for for being a jock He's also her first American boyfriend in a really long time. Um, I think I would say since Jake Gyllenhaal, um, suppose I mean there there are like a handful of Taylor relationships where I'm just like that didn't happen. The other one is her and the Kennedy kid. It's her, the Kennedy kid and Harry Styles, and like those didn't. That's not real. Ken of the Kennedy of the yeah. JFK <laughs> family. I, I'm not aware. Yeah, of this Connor one. Kennedy, um, oh. who was also like 18. Um, and uh, she was friends with A. Kennedy, one of the like older generations of Kennedys, Ethel Kennedy. She has a song about them on Red. But uh, unless Wait, like F Taylor, she was Taylor was friends with Ethel Kennedy, who was RFK's wife. Yes. Huh. And he is in the song because it opens with "I met Bobby on the boardwalk." Uh. Uh, yeah, Has she commented on Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s uh, political aspirations? Or... You know, she she never she she only comments on um, things that directly affect her or gay issues. Those are like the two things you'll get a Taylor. Like Taylor's not ever gonna like the the good thing about it is that she can't really tick you off. But the bad thing about it, I guess, is that like if you want your pop star to represent you politically, like she's never gonna do that either. Um, I was joking about this with a friend of mine, Re, 
uh, all the people who have been either issuing statements or issuing statements about why they're not issuing statements about um, Israel and Gaza right now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if Taylor says anything, which I cannot imagine her doing, but if she did for some reason, (laughs) Uh, the motivating factor would probably not be anything to do with like actual politics. It would be because she's best friends with Gigi Hadid, who is Palestinian. And like the Hadid sisters, or Gigi specifically, got like called out by the Israeli government, for, like the state Instagram for some bizarre reason. And so, like, if she were to intervene, it would be because she was mad about that. It would have like no relationship. Uh-huh. to actual politics um okay so and, similarly with rfk like <laughs> she's not gonna say anything unless for some reason you know if if like he like went on tv and was like i have taylor swift didn't write her own music and i can prove it <laughs> then like she's gonna take him out with a drone strike from space but like <laughs> that's a sort of conspiracy theory he, he might be you know even too far for him. but okay yeah. so just and correct me if i'm wrong so for a, a long time um she yeah she made no essentially no political statements whatsoever and then in 2016 the like nascent alt-right became obsessed with her because she's a white blonde woman and and that somehow got her associated with trump and stuff Mm -hmm. and then she and then the whole like her feud with kanye before kanye revealed himself to be much more unwell and um strange person than we knew him to be sort of made her seem like like she was conservative coded and then she eventually did like endorse someone in her home state a a democrat or something like that yeah she um so i will say you know i I think taylor is basically apolitical and i think that's not only fine i think it's probably good but uh she um she's actually always been quite consistent about gay right stuff um at least back to speak now when she put like a gay kid in one of her music videos and then in 1989 you have the line um you can want who you want boys and boys and girls and girls so mm-hmm. uh for whatever reason that that's an issue she's like always kind of consistently cared about but yeah in 2016 um because she never said anything about trump uh and then the whole thing with Kanye started and the, the whole thing with her and Kanye is interesting to me like partly because they're so easy to allegorize right like uh you got Kanye and you're like well yeah like we're all casting Kanye as the big scary black man who's threatening the fragile little white woman and she's like crying her fake tears you know to get us all to protect her but we're not falling for it but then it's like well first of all one person in this conversation is obsessed with hitler and is kind of a nazi but it was not taylor swift right right (laughs) um but it's also like you know both of the times that the whole certainly the first time and to i i I would say still the second time um you know it was kind of kanye coming at taylor out of nowhere you know it's like he interrupted her vma thing um I've never actually listened to the the tape with her and Kanye because I find things like that like they give me a lot of secondhand embarrassment. Uh, but this um, was referring to earlier, just something yeah. where it turned out that a version of the conversation was leaked selectively, or at an edited version yeah. that made her look bad, but then the full version did not make her look bad. Or yeah, basically. 
Uh, yeah, basically, he had written this song, Famous, and it has the lines, I think me and Tyler might still have sex. I made that bitch famous. Um, and he called her prior to the release of the song to ask her if she would promote it on her Twitter. <laughs> um, and she was like, no. Uh, but he like ran the lines by her and she was like not upset about the sex line. She was like, I get it. It's a joke. Um, she did not like the made her famous line. She was like, you know, I had already sold like a lot of records at the point when you did the VMA thing, but at least you didn't call me a bitch. <laughs> and, and then like in the final version, obviously does call her a bitch mm -hmm. um so that then taylor like gets really mad about that in public and she gave this big speech at like the grammys where she was like there are people who will try to take credit for your success uh and you can't let them or something like that i don't remember exactly and then kim kardashian leaked an edited tape where it sounds like taylor had knew all the words and was absolutely fine with them um and so then you got like this spate of think pieces you know um and the interesting thing is that the the full tape was not leaked until 2020. Uh, but I remember, like, looking back at uh, when Look What You Made Me Do dropped, which was, like, her big comeback single after mm -hmm. all of this Kanye drama. Mark Harris, who I, I think is mostly a good critic, but, like, he wrote this insane piece for Vulture that was, like, Look What You Made Me Do is a Trumpist anthem because, <laughs> because like, this is, like, the kind of song that that Trump blah, blah, blah. it was like it just like went on and on. It was very much like Taylor Taylor Swift is like responsible for for Donald Trump and uh -huh. like everything. And you know, she's she's evil and and so on. Um I yeah, like that there's a kind of a, I think especially around reputation era Taylor, there's an interesting thing where it's like everybody like similar to how the fans for fans she's kind of like a super self like in the media, like when people, whether people are like excited about her or like blaming her, they they like really need her to stand for like a bigger category. So it's like Taylor Swift is validating girls, or Taylor Swift is like um, you know a wife beater or whatever. Because of look what you made me do like i saw this sort of like that's what people who hit their spouses you know um mm -hmm. uh, i mean her her rise and the rise of the like think piece about cultural ephemera sort of aligns so she probably yeah just that coincidence made her over analyzed and a lot of like stupid shit was written about her because like that was the online economy of those years and now that there's like fewer like take type think pieces yeah, no, published I, but i will say like for me personally um despite the fact that i'm somebody who thinks about taylor swift like an inordinate amount i find her most of the writing about her to be like quite bad the negative mm -hmm. writing is often quite bad um because it's both responding to sort of like stereotypes like it doesn't really it's not really responding to like the actual music or stuff that she's done recently it's like oh she just breaks up with guys and writes songs about them um, which is kind of like, you know, um, but a lot of the positive stuff really embarrasses me too. Like Rolling Stone, like is eventually going to have to create like new ratings. If they keep on giving every Taylor rating a hundred out of a hundred, like they're going to have to be like, it's 150 out of a hundred, but like, 
Uh, and like, um, is is this because this... because people don't want to piss off our online fans? You think? You know, I don't think so. Actually, I think it's really that. Um, well, I'm gonna say that the the third thing that there was this very long piece by Taffy Brades or Ackner in New York Times Magazine about going to the Eros concert and stuff that I I thought was terrible. Hmm, okay, uh, I did not I did and, not read that one. Uh, and very very fan fan ish and I think the thing is that like if you like, well it's a double thing. One is that basically nobody who writes about music knows anything about music. They know about like the cultural cachet of music. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and I, I'm included under like this. Like, you know, when I'm writing about Taylor, I'm not like, I, the chord progression in this song is really cool, right? Like, I'm, uh-huh. I'm writing about other stuff. Uh, but so they don't really have anything to write about except like their feelings. Um, and because they, I think, often are not good at talking about their feelings either, like, they just kind of like they, they escalate and escalate sort of the terms of, of what they're talking about. So it can't just be like, you know, X is good or X is nostalgic. It has to be like with 1989 Taylor's version, Taylor has stuck a dagger to the heart of the rockest belief <laughs> that pop music for girls is inferior. It's just like, mm-hmm. um, and that basically was the, the Rolling Stone 1989 Taylor's version review. I mean, the word, I think the word rockist is, is literally in there. Uh, but, um, Sorry to the critic on that review if you're like a huge fan of this podcast. But uh, so I <laughs> think you, like, if you want to come on and rebut, you know, we're happy to. Uh, yeah. Um, she'll, she'll be like, actually, I studied music theory at Juilliard. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't write about it because it's boring. Uh, but um, but I think like with something like the, the Taffy piece and so on, I think people are not good at liking things intelligently. Like they, uh, and again, that creates this kind of um, escalation factor where, like, to communicate the intensity of your enjoyment, you like drastically inflate what you're saying and you inflate the stakes of what you're saying or the stakes of what you care about. Uh, because I think most people do know how to talk intelligently about stuff they hate. Um, <laughs> not in Taylor's case, but like mostly, like, uh, because you understand when you understand how to to think about why you don't like something but it's very hard to think about why you like something um, this is interesting that, that this is this is my opinion uh-huh. um or it's not that it's hard it's just that it's not something that people are trained to do and so um so when they try to talk about why they like taylor they just kind of gush i'm sure there are people who are afraid of pissing off her fans but I mean, she still gets like the the music critic at the Guardian doesn't like the Taylor's versions, and she'll give them you know mixed reviews, mm-hmm. or at least one of them doesn't. Um, and like other people, they like when the Maddie Healy stuff was going on, this one journalist at BuzzFeed like was constantly putting out stuff that was like, "Is this the end of Taylor Swift?" <laughs> uh, the short answer to that was no. But like, uh. Yeah, I guess, you know, I uh, I got a nice note from somebody about my newsletter where he said something like, thank you for marrying criticism and fandom, mm-hmm. which, you know, I don't think of myself as a fanish writer about Taylor or about anything else, but I, I got what he meant, which was like, I am 
interested in exploring what this artist seems to like represent what she seems to draw out of people but i'm not gonna make insane claims about her and um i'm not gonna you know like um there's a there's a especially with uh women in culture there's often a tendency to more or less pretend that anyone who preceded them didn't happen so that you can talk about why this person is great it's also a big problem in literature and stuff so it's like you know before taylor no woman could ever get famous writing songs <laughs> it's like that's not true <laughs> um you know uh and so i think there are all kinds of things that taylor has done that are unique to her and interesting um it is interesting that she's never really done a lifestyle brand unlike oh, okay. basically every other pop star um, like that's how they really make their money is uh you know selena gomez has a makeup line um ariana grana has a makeup line Katy perry has a line of non-alcoholic alcohol that nobody likes which <laughs> i've always felt is like so representative of something about how her like particular <laughs> brand of stardom crumpled she also has shoes um lady gaga has a makeup line a lot mostly it's makeup lines but like mm. Uh, Beyonce has a clothing line uh, because nobody makes money off of music anymore. Mm -hmm. So in that context, it's interesting that Taylor doesn't have one and that she is like probably a billionaire now. Um, it is interesting. Her relationship to like sex is interesting. Okay. Because, that, this yeah. is actually one of the questions I wanted to ask. Um, and the question is, is Taylor Swift sexy? Yeah, so I'm going to say, well, I'm probably not going to answer that question, but <laughs> I'm gonna, I will give a, a roundabout thought about it, which is like the the number one thing I see from people who, who don't like her, whether it's on social media or whether it's sometimes it's a think piece, it's like Taylor Swift is sexless. That's like this kind of constant recurring thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that that's true. But I think it goes back to what I was saying about how she kind of wants to be alongside her audience in a certain kind of way. When she's singing about how beautiful like her love object is, um, she is pointing you away from herself. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't sing songs about how, she mostly doesn't sing songs about how sexy she herself is. She sings songs about how sexy that guy is. Mm -hmm. Or you know you are because a lot of her one of the reasons that i think gaylorism has aside from the kaylers has remained relatively non-insane though that's less true now um is because she actually has a lot of love songs with no male pronouns in them they're just addressed to you mm -hmm. and so you know it's not insane for somebody to listen to that and think why doesn't she ever say he right like you could you could convince yourself of something there but that's not important um and so like you know um in fearless she's got one of my one of my favorite lines of hers like this where she's like you're so cool run your hand through your hair absent-mindedly making me want you and so like that to me that's a very unique kind of lyric um it's not the way that like ariana grande sings about uh desire Mm -hmm. um you know ariana grande wants you to know she's hot shit <laughs> uh and that's like 
So like when I think of her and I, I like her stuff um, and I actually think she's like more interesting than maybe she gets credit for. Um, but but like her songs sort of tend to be I'm hot shit and we have great sex. And that's like that's her that's her take on this. And so with Taylor, it's like, you know, she's not going to wear a she's not interested in being a sex object and so i think in that sense she is not sexy um she is not sexy like madonna she's not sexy like ariana um she's not sexy like Brittany. like but i think she is sexy in the sense that she sings very compellingly about desire uh and uh I think a lot of her um, more overt songs tend to be album cuts. So like on Reputation, there's this song Dress that has the line, I only bought this dress so you could take it off, um, which to me is a very, very hot line. <laughs> um, but like, but like when she did that live, like she didn't, you know, she's not doing like a strip tease on stage or something like uh, it was this very tasteful choreography um and she was wearing sort of like a a mesh dress over a bodysuit or something like that i don't remember uh but um so i think you know like when people say i think taylor is sexless i think uh you know i don't really want to like hop into somebody's mentions and be like um <laughs> are you saying you don't get horny for taylor swift because you really should <laughs> here's my Here's my PowerPoint slide to explain why, like, um, reason and logic dictate that. But, like, if what they mean is something sort of, like, humiliating and insulting, like, um, essentially, like, I can't think of her as an adult, then I feel like they're saying something uh, that's, that's, that's kind of not true, but, like, it's because it's it's like she's working in a register that they don't know how to notice. Um, uh-huh. And I think that like the the world, uh, I don't think it's like unheard of for women to sing about male beauty, uh, but it's kind of unusual. Um, like, you know, I'm sort of trying to think of examples in my head, but like even something like um, Beyonce singing Halo, you know, that that's very much about like being overwhelmingly in love with somebody, but I don't think it communicates a sense of being like, physically swept away by their like their beauty or their charm so i think like yeah i i think um it's a tricky question and it's it's tricky because what people mean by sexy is like different um and i think that uh i mean certainly like as as someone who is like uh what's the best word more prudish than most of my contemporaries or whatever <laughs> mm -hmm. uh you know I, I like the fact that she uh is like this um you know i i appreciate it uh it's not that i don't listen to artists who aren't like that but you know it's like oh yeah this is something for me um <laughs> but but i also think that she um i think that 
you know, for a long time, I had this idea. This was before anything with the newsletter or whatever. That one day I was going to write a big piece about Taylor and I was going to call it um, the Poet Laureate of Female Desire. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, I have thought about this with her a lot. And I think there is just something about the way uh she's almost kind of like a screwball heroine not in the comedy <laughs> sense but in the sense that those women are like constantly scheming how to get their man and uh and chasing after men that they're they're into um and kind of like you know in, in some sense of the screwball you know 1930s screwball is not going to be like a big bold statement on gender roles but the the women in those movies are the agents and the men are like the objects they want. And that's mm -hmm. that's kind of the dynamic in, in most of those movies, not all of them. Um, and so uh, that's kind of how I think of of Taylor and I think how Taylor poses herself as just the, it's, it's much, much more important to her to be in love than for somebody to be in love with her. Uh, and I think, I think that's just kind of an unusual position, um, not unheard of. But it's not um, it's not how most of us sort of like stereotypically lay those things out. Do you think Taylor's sexy? You know, I mean, she, I think she's like attractive, but not sexy. Mm -hmm. um, like she's obviously attractive, but she's I don't know the 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 image that is on the Eras tour poster or like the main outfit she's wearing in the trailer or something mm -hmm. is like, you know, it's like a bodysuit with like high boots and it's super sparkly and in some ways this is like you know could be like the Victoria's Secret analog or something but I don't know it's maybe it's because of like not that I've watched a ton of video of her live but like you know she's not the, like the level of dancer as some of the other oh yeah she's not a good dancer at like all like Beyonce or uh Britney Spears other sort of uh female singer icons um who were yeah who were acknowledged to be like lusted after by by everyone um and yeah someone i mean i guess one maybe people don't say this anymore but one knock on her would be like oh she's just like it's just that she's pretty that's why she succeeded she's a you know thin white blonde mm -hmm. woman uh, of course people like her but like she's not so attractive that if she had no talent you know, she um, could somehow succeed just on her looks. Like clearly, she's she's very talented. But I I'm not deep enough in the uh, in either the lore or like the lyrics to to really say. But um, yeah, just yeah. I think um, you know, my my friend Claire Coffey, uh, we text about it, Taylor often. Um, but she she made an observation to me that is uh, something I like to say about. I meaning me, not Claire, about Tom Cruise is that like the sort of secret of Tom Cruise is that uh, he has everything that a classically handsome man has except height, right? Mm -hmm. So so he has all this, you know, he's got everything, but he doesn't have this one thing and there's nothing he can do about that one thing. Like, uh -huh. you know, um, and Claire's point about Taylor was... Uh, Taylor had in high school, which was the last time she was ever a normal human being, um, she had all the pieces that should have made her adored and popular, 
but she wasn't. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so there's some aspect, I think genuinely there is an aspect in the way that she's made her fan base all feel like her her best friends that is about that, like, you know, here I am, I'm like thin and pretty and blonde. Uh, but like nobody will hang out with me. Um mm -hmm. and uh sense of rejection that kind of characterizes uh preempt like assuming she's rejected assuming she's like coming from a, a stance of having been rejected by you that um i think also plays into this uh, right yeah i mean i mean that the, you know that how was... many great artists were like cool in high school um you know <laughs> it probably that doesn't lead to the sort of like artistic career that people recognize that all that often at least i don't know was was tom cruise cool in high school um, I don't know. I think he's I don't, from New Jersey. But, I try to um, know as little about Tom Cruise as possible. But, that, so you can... know, that's the interesting thing about him. I mean, th there's other similarities between them. And just someone who, like, tries very hard, and maybe that's not another knock on Taylor is that she's a try hard. Um, or Yeah, yeah, she she tries crazy hard. Right, or, uh, or, or some level of, like, phoniness. In, but are all celebrities have a level of phoniness? I don't know. Yeah, one of the things about Taylor... And there is a post about this in the Substack archives, but uh, is that she's got this kind of tryhardness and this kind of niceness that is um, a niceness that is clearly rooted in a kind of good girl, good manners. Um, so, like, you know, at the Eras concert in the movie that recently came out, but also like when, you know, in the live performances, um, there's like this thing where she gets a bunch of applause and then she said, thank you. That's a very generous thing to do for someone. Um, and like, she always thanks the fans for supporting the Taylor's version. And she says, you know, like, she's always says, I never ask people to only stream my version because I know that you can be very attached to, to old recordings, but you guys have been so supportive and you've allowed me to do this and you've allowed me to have a career and switch genres and you know everything i do it's all thanks to you mm -hmm. um and she used to do stuff like that in interviews where um i think there, there's some kind of infamous interview where like the interviewer says something to her like oh i like your outfit and taylor's like oh thank you i love your legs <laughs> <laughs> or something like that <laughs> I can't remember exactly, but it's like, like she, it made, like, it's like, there's this level of like social training she has. It's like somebody compliments you, you say thank you, and you compliment them back. Uh -huh. And like, she always does this. Um, and I think, you know, the interesting thing about it is that, like, to me, is that it works. Like, everyone can tell that she is a tryhard. Everyone can tell that she's like, in this kind of classic sense, a good girl, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the sort of like law of the way people think about celebrity should mean that this makes her annoying to us, but people like it. They they like the small amount of visible effort that you can always <laughs> see with her. Uh, they're like, Taylor Swift works hard, you know? Like that. that's how they feel about it and mm -hmm. that to me is interesting because i don't know if you remember like when jennifer lawrence was kind of ascendant and there was this whole like jennifer lawrence versus anne hathaway thing and it was like 
Jennifer Lawrence is effortlessly cool and fun. And Anne Hathaway is a tryhard theater kid. And that mm -hmm, was like mm -hmm. the, and so like nobody likes Anne Hathaway because nobody likes tryhard theater kids. But like Taylor is like the supreme tryhard theater kid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, like, and I think that it's a like I I think maybe on some level the like assumptions people have about charisma are maybe a little bit wrong. Like that if Taylor was doing all of this without seeming to try, people would not like her. Uh, like, huh. I mean, I think, you know, I, I don't actually like comparing them that much, but it's like it comes up because they're kind of the only two women at this level. But like Beyonce, is also a hard worker and like that she works hard and is like excellent is like her her brand, too. Right. Uh, and uh, you would never call her a tryhard. I don't know why, but like you, but like, you know, you can tell she's probably, you know, no, her, or in fact, her stage shows, or at least the one that was recorded on that documentary a couple of years ago mm -hmm. are like incredible, like physical performances. And yeah. It must be like exhausting to do that night yeah. after night. Um, just like, uh, you know, the choreography and the, and the performance of it all. So that's, yeah. Why that, that is not coded as trying hard as opposed to like Everless Grace or something like that. I, yeah, but I, I, think, I think in the case of Beyonce, the thing is that you look at her and you know she's she's working crazy hard, but there's a seamlessness to how it gets to you. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Taylor, that's not the case. With Taylor, it's always like you're getting this little look behind the curtain, like this like a little bit. Um, I think... In some ways, this is maybe best expressed by how they react when things go wrong, which is like Taylor kind of figures out how to make it into a joke. Um, but the few clips I've ever seen of something going wrong at a Beyonce show, she just looks really mad. Like, you are embarrassing me. You had better fix this. Uh -huh. um, whereas, like, if Taylor is on stage and her mic, isn't working she'll like do like a whole thing until it gets fixed and stuff like she'll make it a joke uh, -huh. uh and i think that that goes to the way that like there's a maybe deliberate or maybe just it's an aspect of her that she can't change so she's playing into it yeah like she she can't not look like she's working hard um she doesn't have what's that word spreads it to her uh, <laughs> uh, uh sort of like uh, a natural cool coolness or yeah. something but in fact, what most, what, you know, especially Americans, they respond to, you know, they, they're like, that girl works hard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I linked to this in a, a bit ago somewhere and, uh, but like Kobe Bryant, uh, we could say is a problematic figure deceased. Um, but he, uh, you know, he has this great, about Taylor where he's like you know um he's talking to an interviewer and an interviewer says it would be really funny if you're if you're always playing Taylor Swift CDs in your car and he says I am <laughs> the guy's like what <laughs> he says well when somebody's like at the top <laughs> you want to know you want to know what's up with them and he was like Taylor has been at the top for a long time hmm. and so I don't really care if people like her music or not I want to know why she's at the top and then he says, he also says, somebody says something like, you know, it's it's weird thinking about Taylor as like a really successful person or something. I don't remember exactly what he says. He says, well, you know, 
she's really nice. Like she, before she was even like famous, she like did a bunch of nice stuff for my daughters and stuff. Uh, but I will tell you that nobody is where she is without being a killer. <laughs> awesome. I don't know. Like he doesn't elaborate on that. He just says it and then the clip ends. Wow. <laughs> like, uh, but I think that there's a, and I think, yeah, the, one of the things that I have criticized her for in the past, and I don't think she does this anymore, but she used to do it, is this kind of resentful, I'm the underdog thing. Uh-huh. Um, and I think around 2020, she realized that she cannot do that anymore. Like, I don't think she read my my piece. <laughs> if she did read my piece, I probably got myself blacklisted from Taylor Swift press releases forever. <laughs> but... <laughs> But I think that she, um, now she's like, you know, I, I am a winner. I can't like, I can't pretend like I am a little underdog anymore. Um, but like, I think that there's something, you know, an honest winner, people like it. Uh, and like, uh, you know, the, the music industry, I think, I would guess if I was a music uh, executive, I'd have a very complicated relationship with Taylor because like on the one hand she's running around doing these Taylor versions and kind of screwing me over like even if I you know not me personally in the sense that I'm not like invested in her old masters but me over in the sense that now artists are like asking to own their masters and their contracts and all this Mm -hmm. you know so it's like and like her her record label um that's a distribution only deal she does everything else herself um so she basically is on like her own label that is just her in terms mm-hmm. of like every, yeah uh and when she signed with them she like made them do all this stuff about spotify not just for her but for like every artist on the label because she hates spotify's guts <laughs> um, and so like i think um you know the the people who actually run the culture industry they need stars but they don't like them is my general feeling mm-hmm. uh like janine bassinger is this historian of stardom who has written some books i really like and she has this play that like in the first movies nobody had credits like there were no movie star names and people the audience created movie stars because they saw like mary pickford and something and they wanted to know who that was and the studios really didn't want to do that. They didn't want these people to have names because once people are that, you know, that gives them a certain amount of power. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, uh, I sort of see this as part of the subtext of the struggle with AI. Like, AI has this promise of giving you the movie star without the star. If, like, you can AI generate, you know, Harrison Ford or whatever. Um, yeah, or, you know, from the from the like perspective of the studio or capital it's like we can we can generate creativity without having to pay creative people right yeah um, who are often annoying and have demands that you know don't fit with the capital like the way the capitalist wants to run things and so like i think um you know there are pieces about the music industry is kind of freaking out because they're not as they say breaking new stars there have been like a couple pieces in this billboard over the years so it's like uh you know you've got billy eilish you've got olivia rodrigo um you've got ice spice 
But like what you mostly have are people who are kind of like poof and gone. And you know, whenever whenever I read something like this and it's like industry executives are like, we just can't make a star, you know, you you're like, really? You can't make a star. It sounds more like you don't want to, but I think that there is a kind of a, the music industry is probably about to undergo some pretty rapid changes. And the person who is probably going to have the most power there if she wants it is Taylor because she is so wealthy now and she doesn't need anybody, you know? And right. uh, there, there, I think... so there were hopes that she would be able to take on the power of Ticketmaster, which has made life annoying for um, people who want to go to concerts or sporting events and then that didn't happen. So maybe that, you know, a entrenched monopoly is that owns like both the venues and the 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 means of um, distributing uh, tickets is too strong for Taylor. But but maybe the next, you know, maybe the next concert tour, she'll find a way to, to get around Ticketmaster. And that would be for the best. It wouldn't surprise me if she did. But I think, yeah, they're they're, they're tricky because they own the venues. And so like. If she wants to get around Ticketmaster, she'll have to figure out a way to play it. She'll either have to figure out a way to get them in. Maybe this is why she's befriending the NFL. <laughs> it's like <laughs> trying to figure out a backdoor way to use NFL stadiums. But but what I do think you could imagine her doing is doing something to shake up music streaming. Because mm-hmm. um, I think everybody knows that the way that music streaming works is not tenable um and certainly she knows it because she's made a big point of it in the past and uh she's one of the artists that still moves albums you know uh but like i think um ted joya who does like a whole culture thing wrote like an open letter to taylor kind of asking her to start the musician version of sag aftra hmm. um and you know that was started by movie stars uh, because the old Hollywood system was so exploitative. And I, I don't know if I can see Taylor doing something like that, but I could see her throwing her weight behind somebody else doing something like that, which I think I think that's in some ways kind of how she prefers to operate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you look at her, her thing with the movie studios that just played out where um, she had the era's concert thing and she wanted to release it to theaters and she couldn't get terms for any of the big studios that she wanted that she liked and so she like she had already run the production by or through sag after i'm not sure of the timeline with this but like she'd met with the union and made sure that everything was okay but then she just went straight to amc and was like i'll put the movie together you distribute it and that and now beyonce is doing that <laughs> <laughs> and uh that's a that's a big deal like yeah. her just deciding not to to deal with the and you know she is so rich now everybody needs her more than she needs them um so i think it's like it's sort of interesting that she is right now one of the last true culture dominating stars because mm-hmm. i think again like i think that there's this whole problem where people sort of need stars. Stars are what get you engaged. Stars are stars engage the public, but they're also annoying and hard to deal with. Um, 
And so like uh, what you want is kind of like stars who are never really feel empowered to act on their own. Um, but but Taylor, you know, um, Taylor can act on her own. She doesn't really owe anybody anything. <laughs> uh, and she's, you know, I, I think one dynamic that plays out when you watch these uh I've been thinking about this with the SAC after strikes. Uh, you know, one thing, you know, celebrities are what we think of as wealthy people, right? And they are wealthy. But whenever something like this happens, you realize that like the people who are really wealthy are people whose names you don't know. And and they can crush, you know, if if there was not a SAG after esque institution and like I don't know, Jake Dylan Hall was like, I don't know, I want health insurance, they could just crush him like a bug. Like, uh, and, um, and, that, that's kind of the situation music is in because it doesn't have this kind of union culture, uh, that movies and TV do. Uh, but with, with Taylor, you have this kind of, you know, now, now that she is apparently a billionaire, like she's up there now. Yeah. There are certainly people who are richer than she is multi-billionaires or whatever but she's got you know she's she's at the point where she could start a small industry and not have to worry about going bankrupt uh-huh. well i mean i hope she uses this power for for good and not for evil um yeah it is i mean you know the the studios you know are thinking about movies versus music like like you know like i think billy eilish herself like you know broke totally independently it was like making things in her bedroom with her sibling or something yeah that still is possible whereas that's very hard to do in making movies because it's so expensive to to make a movie whereas you still and you know digital technology makes it easier to a total outsider can break still in the world of music whereas you know somebody you've never heard of can't make and distribute a movie given current technology they they're reliant yeah. on lots of other people um so there is that but yeah some sort of Although I think between musicians yeah. <laughs> in terms of you know supporting the the ones who uh are are never gonna become famous. That would that would be welcome. Yeah, and I think you know, this is one thing I've noticed that about the Taylor's versions. She has been very careful with the one or two exceptions to make sure everybody who was earning money off the old version is earning money off the new version. So, like, if somebody did background vocals on the old version, they're doing background vocals on the new version. You know, like, even small things. Um, Because I think she doesn't want a narrative that she's, like, stiffing somebody. Um, I think there are are a couple exceptions. There's a band member that she, like, doesn't talk to anymore. But, like, the band that plays with her has played with her forever. Her backup singers have been her backup singers forever. Um... She's very loyal to mm-hmm. like the people she works with. Uh, she's very, it's kind of like, I think one reason maybe, I mean, I'm sure there are people who like are mad about Taylor being wealthy. Um, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to say that by and large, there shouldn't be billionaires, but as people becoming billionaires go, like, I don't mind the way to- Became that wealthy, I she, guess. she did try um, quite hard, as as we've said, and deliver yeah. the product that you know uh, she she hasn't like created a monopoly 
on the means of distribution. She is. Uh... Yeah, she's not like uh, you know running a blood diamond mind or yeah. So it's like okay. Uh, oh, I think the people like it. People like that she has a kind of noblesse oblige <laughs> quality to her. You know, like that the thing with her giving everybody bonus checks that started at a hundred thousand dollars at the end of the American leg of the eras tour. Oh, nobody oh. does that. Uh-huh. That's that's like that's an insane amount of money. Uh-huh. Um, but it's not a lot of money to her. <laughs> and so, um, but I think you know, like. You might get a small bonus if you're touring with a big act at the end of a leg of the tour. Uh, this kind of bonus nobody gives. But I, again, I think it makes people not mind that she's so rich because they're like, oh, but she treats she treats her guys nice. So, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I also hope that she uses her power for good and not for evil. I mean, I think the most... Well, I'll say two things. I think that, you know, the most likely thing with Taylor is always that she'll do nothing at all um, when it, you know, if it doesn't directly affect her. Uh, but the other thing is, I think she strongly prefers making non-public moves to public moves. Mm-hmm. Um, like... Uh, you know, when the Kesha legal battle with Dr. Luke was going on, somebody like sort of called her out and was like, you're not posting about this. I thought I thought women's issues mattered to you, blah, blah, blah. Um, but then Kesha's mother was like, actually, Taylor gave us like $250,000 to like help with legal fees. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, I think that's just her, that's her preferred she doesn't want to post about stuff. She does not like making statements, uh, but she will do things where people can't see her. Okay, that's uh, that's good. And she's, you know, she's a millennial icon, so she's bucking the stereotypes about our generation as you know, doing things performatively and just for yeah clout. And well, I think, <laughs> I think part of it is that I think she's really sensitive to being criticized as fake basically like it comes up in interviews and like it comes up in the reputation prologue and stuff like she there are certain things she's very sensitive about one is the thing of penning songs to boyfriends she doesn't like it um she tolerates it but she doesn't like it uh and the other is being called fake or being told she's doing something for clout or stuff like that like she's very uh and i think that is part of why she kind of does this stealth do-gooding is because nobody can call her fake (laughs) if they can't see her do it you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but it's a it's an interesting quality of hers and uh and i yeah i do think like yeah she's not um I'm not meaning to paint her as a passive person or anything when i say the most likely thing she'll do is nothing but like Nikki Haley just put out some at like campaign stuff where she's like using the 1989 cover. So it's like 2024 huh. Nikki's version or whatever. <laughs> um, and then, you know, I think, I think Taylor's response to that kind of stuff is nothing. Like she's not, uh, she's not going to make a public stink about it. 
I don't think she'll even make a private stink about it, but she might. Um, but like, but but some things will make her really mad, and that's when you have to watch out. Like, <laughs> well, she's a killer. Like, yeah, yeah, she's a killer. But like, it, it's funny because like the thing, the last one of the last times she really just kind of blew up in public. I mean, the the absolute berserk button is if you say that she doesn't write her songs, which would make me really mad too. Because I mean, she does, and so like, uh, or if she doesn't, it's like the most successful conspiracy ever done. So like, <laughs> but uh, but like, what's his name? Guy from Blur who does Gorillas, Damon, Albert, whatever. He Southern. like gave some interview. And he was like, she doesn't really write her own songs, huh. and so like, she's like, bam on Twitter. <laughs> Just like I'm a big fan, this is really disappointing. But the the time that she did that, that is like kind of infamous and frankly kind of funny, is like some Netflix show had like a throwaway joke where somebody says to somebody else, and I've never seen this show. Uh, you go through boyfriends more quickly than Taylor Swift, and she like screenshot it. She put it on Twitter. She was like, "Hey Netflix, this is not a good look." You know, I. Next date called it once it's sexist joke back, like goes on and on and on. Uh-huh. And then it ends with happy international women's day. I guess <laughs> you <have> broken heart. <laughs> and it's just, it's really, I mean, um, so yeah, if you, if you make her mad, she will. If Nikki Haley said, I'm going to go through, like, I'm going to slash our budget like Taylor Swift going through boyfriends. Then <laughs> Taylor Swift would indeed, like, just kind of materialize behind her and just, you know, like, <laughs> break her neck. But, like, uh, other things she just kind of lets slide. Um, I think I find all of that just kind of, like, I, some people would find all of this very frustrating about her because they want her... It's like when people got really mad that she was dating Maddie Healy, and it was like, how how can you, my perfect, my perfect Barbie princess, like, be seen with a man who you recently dug out of a garbage can, who like, uh, you know, is at least prone to making very tasteless jokes on podcasts. We can put it that way. Um, and so there was like this whole fan petition that went around that like to get her to break up with him. And it was just kind of like you have a like like this this fan petition was basically like you have a responsibility to your fans, not, not to date a to, problematic, not to bro. date him. Like obviously you can date who you want, but by dating him, you're platforming him. He's too dusty. Yeah, you're exposing Swifties to violence and and blah blah blah. And so like you know, um, I think a lot of you know there's a similar thing going around that they want her to speak up about Gaza. And, you know, like, for me, it's like, I I don't understand the mindset that makes you think I really wish this pop star would speak up about Gaza. Like, mm-hmm. that. that's so... I mostly think, please don't say anything. <laughs> um, maybe, you know, maybe she could do a peace concert, you know, on the border, and half the fans would be Palestinian, and half the fans would be Israeli... And they all have to like, you know, promise to like rock out together yeah. and make, exchange friendship bracelets and stuff like that. And maybe that could move the process forward somehow. I actually meant to look up if she's ever played Jerusalem. Because um, the, the one interesting is she's never played Dubai, mm-hmm. which which is a little notable because they probably asked her because they 
Maddie Healy has played Dubai. <laughs> Uh, uh, but I, he's also banned from Dubai because he like started kissing his band members, so uh, who are male. Uh-huh. So, um, but when when Beyonce did Dubai, I was like, has Taylor ever done Dubai? Because everyone was saying like you can't get mad at her because everyone does it, and I'm not mad at Beyonce. But when I found out that Taylor had never done Dubai, I was a little smug. I was like, interesting. There, you're reminding me there was a famous event on twitter where there was someone who ran a uh, twitter swift twitter swift oh, Taylor yeah. swift fan account who went dark for a while and then came back and apologized for being gone and someone said well why were you gone and they replied um i was in jail because i refused to serve in the israeli army yeah um, and then she went back to jail for like a related thing actually so there's like a there's a sequel tweet to that where um, I think she wrote something on paper. It was like, guys, calm down. I don't know why I remember this. They said, this is like, this is written again on paper. Guys, calm down. Taylor will tell us if she's pregnant. Stop speculating about her body. And it's like, like her sister took a picture of this and posted it to the account because the other person couldn't because they were in jail. She wasn't, yeah. Um, because I think like, you know, even not playing Dubai or not playing Jerusalem is not necessarily a political statement so much as a, I don't want people mad at me statement, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know people will get mad at me if I do this, so I'm just not going to do it. Uh, and I, again, I don't, I just don't remember if she's ever played, I meant to check and, I, and then I forgot. But uh, yeah, I, I'd like, I don't get the, the mindset where you're like, oh, I really wish that you know this person would issue a statement on on this or that event you know obviously if 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 somebody who is famous for other reasons feels moved to speak that's a that's a different thing but like Mm -hmm. uh you know i I wouldn't want to say to i don't know rihanna if she felt moved to speak on this like go back to making pop music rihanna but like which she has also hasn't done in like 10 years (laughs) um uh but um you know if that's what you you want from her i I think that you know people get they get frustrated because they want they want her to be perfect in every way that they they want any person to be perfect so they want her to be you know uh, like even sort of the the flaws she has and this is gonna sound kind of bad they don't mean it that way but like you know, in her documentary, she opened up about having an eating disorder. Um, that's a very relatable flaw, or not flaw, struggle. Mm-hmm. It's a very relatable struggle for a lot of people. And so, like, that kind of thing, when she opens up about that, it makes people protective of her. So, I guess, yeah, flaw is the wrong word, but, like, um, even when she's like, I'm not all perfect, I have this problem. Like, it's the kind of problem that makes you go but you are perfect taylor (laughs) (laughs) um uh and so they they want her to be like a crusader for justice or you know and um i yeah i find her kind of avoidance and sneakiness sort of endearing because it's it's like for me it's one of the reminders that no matter you know taylor swift is a business but taylor swift is a person and right. so like the actual person has like all the weird derangements any normal person has and probably a few extra <laughs> uh and so like 
her, you know, like there, there's a running joke, which I think is actually true. There was this thing back in the 1989 era where this big chest was being carried out of her apartment and it became this running thing. It's like Taylor's in the chest. And so oh, like, she's, being snuck, she's being snuck yeah, out. Being snuck out, but she actually was in the chest. <laughs> Whoa. Um, and so now whenever there's like a, a cart being pushed around, like at the NFL games and stuff, it's like, oh, there's Taylor. Taylor's in the cart. <laughs> but like, yeah, again, I find that I find that kind of endearing. I, guess. I mean, if you, you know, if she if she's has to be smuggled out of her own apartment in a giant crate um, and is still able to not go insane, then that's that's a positive note for her character. Um, we, we've been going quite long. And we should probably wrap up. I do have one. The last question would be if someone has somehow listened to all of this and still doesn't really know that much about Taylor Swift, what, what album would you point them to? What resource would you point them to? What should, how should they get into Taylor Swift if, if they're not already? Yeah. Um, the album that I think most people should start with is Red, which has a Taylor's version. You can listen to whichever. The vocals on the Taylor's version are mostly stronger, but some people prefer the original. And then secondarily, I'd say Folklore or Evermore, which are the albums she put out during the pandemic and which were which really directly contributed to her being as famous as she is now. So I would say um, Red is great because it's her her true country pop crossover album. And so you get that country Taylor and you get pop Taylor. Uh, I think Folklore and Evermore are great because... There were like weird little passion projects she put out in 2020 and they were enormously successful, I think, probably in a way nobody really planned for them to be. Uh, well, folklore more so, but um, but they also retain that, that country storytelling that is what I think makes Taylor so good. Mm -hmm. um, and she works with the guy from The National on it. Uh, Reading-wise... I mean, I like my own writing about Taylor on the Substack. Like I said, I, I mostly think that I think most writing about Taylor is really bad, positive and negative. Mm -hmm. um, we should mention the, uh, the, also the you mentioned Claire Coffey. You ran a piece on your Substack that she wrote oh, yeah. comparing about, Taylor and Bruce Springsteen, which was quite yeah. interesting. And yeah, I actually think that piece would be a great piece to read if you just kind of don't know who Taylor Swift is. Uh, she really kind of captures a lot in that and um yeah so th those would be my album recommendations and claire is a good reading choice um i'm trying to think if they're i don't want to be churlish if there's like a you know steve hyden had a piece about taylor and why he thinks she's so big right now that i thought was good um but mostly the reviews are either fans or anti-fans mm. It's just kind of boring. Uh, not not to sound gloating and smug, but I do I do actually think that I'm I'm filling a gap in terms of good writing about Taylor Swift. Okay, so if people want that writing, they can subscribe to your Substack notebook.substack.com, and a link to it will be in the show notes. Anything else you want to mention, self promotion wise, before we? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, you know, yeah, check out the Substack if you like it. Uh, my my dog's Instagram is is linked to somewhere on there, so you know, he's he's more charismatic than me. Uh. <laughs> yes, you have one of the all time great dogs, uh, Boswell, yeah. who I I did get to meet. 
a couple of times in real life a very nice and very He's a great, great dog. dog um okay and you know people can rate and review this show and that's a way to have the mysterious algorithms uh put in front of other people's cautiousnesses and yeah um okay well thank you barbara for thank uh, you educating me about, about taylor swift um and thanks to all of the listeners out there and we'll see you again next time listening is a very generous thing for you to do <laughs> yes I, I i thank you all and i wouldn't be here with without the fans you know yeah i, I wouldn't be here okay <laughs>